1 John chapter 4, verse 7. John says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God. For God is love. For God is love. I want to preach this morning on what is love. What is love? That's a question that everybody has. It doesn't matter if you're a believer in Jesus Christ or what kind of religion you have. Everybody's seeking love. Everybody wants to be loved. I know very few people in my lifetime I've ever met that doesn't want some form of love. Well, it says there in verse 8, he says, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. So the first answer to that question, my friend, is that God is love. God is love. Now, what does that mean? That means that it doesn't say there that it doesn't say that love is God. Now, you've got to get that straight. Because it doesn't say love is God. It says that God is love. What that says is that God defines love. God shows you love. God tells you and, it, and educates you on what real love is. Uh, the world has it twisted around. The world likes to say, uh, love is God. And they like to try to take love. And they put a, they, when you try to ask a, a non-believer or anybody in the world what love is, they'll give you a wide range of, of answers. That don't, and some of them doesn't have anything to do with love. Some of it has to do with lust. And we know that love gives and lust takes. But God defines love. It's God is love. And what the Bible is from the very beginning in Genesis, all the way through the end of the book of Revelation, what the Bible is full of is full of love. And the kind of love you see in this Bible is not man's love. Man, you read through this, and we read some of this stuff in Sunday school. Uh, there's not a lot of love when you're throwing a woman out of a balcony and she's getting stomped on by a horse, and her, that woman's name was Jezebel. There's not a lot of love going on in that scripture, amen? A lot of, a lot of the stories you read about, about the men in the Bible, they're not showing love, and they're not giving love. They're just living life day in and day out. Uh, farmers and ranchers and sheep herders and murderers and rapists and there's anything you can think of in the world they're found in this book and that what man will do but there's not a lot of love found in this book you notice that not by man a lot of the, a lot of the stories in here they don't have to do with man's love even when it comes to men and women a lot of it's not now there is some of it but not a lot of it but you'll find love in this bible is god's love for man when man messes up and he goes and hides in the garden, it's God that comes in the garden looking for man, seeking man with his love. God is love. God is love. And that's the definition that God gives us is his love. And we're going to define his love. Now, there's a website. I encourage y'all, if y'all read your news off the internet, which I do a lot of my, I don't like to sit there and watch the news on TV because I, I, a lot of it's so depressing and they give me the stories that they want me to hear. So what I like to do is I like to go on websites and read news and just get the article headline and if I'm interested, I'll read that. Kind of like what we would do growing up as a newspaper, amen? Uh, you, you just kind of read through and you don't want to waste all your time. The worst way to get news is through the TV, my friend. Because they're giving you and they're feeding you and they're showing you the pictures they want you to see, you know. But if you can get some news through a newspaper, get news through some internet where you, some reptical internet journalism where you can get, read some stories. Well, there's a, there's a website called The Stream. And I encourage y'all, if you're a Christian, you want some good 
news and some reputable news go on. The, it's called The Stream. They had an article on here called The Silent Suffering of Gay Men. And this article was, uh, actually was originally written by a guy by, by the name of Michael Hobbs out of the Huffington Post. Now, the Huffington Post is one of the most liberal uh, papers or uh, websites you could ever find. And, and, and this is what they were writing about. And what might be the most candid piece in Huffington Post history, Michael Hobbs, who identifies as gay, writes about what he calls an epidemic of loneliness. And this guy is gonna, has wrote an article about how, how much of the gay culture, there's so many lonely people in the gay culture. He says, for years, this, this, this is a homosexual rightness, for years I've noticed the divergence between my straight friends and my gay friends. While one half of my social circle has disappeared into relationships, kids, and suburbs, the other, talking about the gay side of it, has struggled through isolation, anxiety, hard drugs, and risky behavior. Now, that's a guy that's being honest. He's saying this lifestyle has led, this is what's going on here. Through the story after story of mountains of statistics, Hobbes then documents a consistent and chilling trend among those who share his lifestyle. He says that gay men everywhere at every age are two to ten times more likely than heterosexual men to commit suicide. And that's just the beginning. Homosexual males also suffer from higher rates of cardiac, uh, from, uh, heart disease, cancer, allergies, asthma, and a whole host of behavior-related infections and dysfunctions. They're twice as likely to experience major depressive episodes Report having fewer, closer friends, and abuse drugs at an alarming rate. In fact, living in so-called gay neighborhoods is a, predi- is a predictor of more frequent risky behaviors and uh, drug use. And Hobbes adds, the community itself is brutal and degrading to its members. Smartphone hookup apps drive a culture of exploitation and casual encounters that one young man that he, interviewed, he interviewed said made him feel like a piece of meat. See, this is a culture that is so foreign to us as Christians, as believers, as, as people who are straight, that they've got apps that they're hooking up with each other, and it's just one-time encounters. It's just unbelievable to me, in my mind. We often hear these disastrous, disastrous statistics and stories attributed to homophobia, bullying, and shame. They're saying that a lot of this is caused by homophobia, bullying, and shame. Having been treated horribly since childhood, men like this author, the often repeated myth goes, are forced to live a lie. They're depressed because they've been oppressed and repressed. That's their story. It's why, the reason why these stats are like this is because they believe they've been oppressed and repressed. But that doesn't hold up, my friend. But here's the problem with the bullying hypothesis. In countries like the Netherlands and Sweden, where same-sex marriage has been the law of the land for years, gay men remain three times more susceptible to mood disorders, three times more likely to engage in suicidal self-harm. Friends, this isn't, a, a, this isn't something that God created in them, a love that God created in them. This is a lifestyle choice. This is a conduct. The situation is so bad that one respondent in a survey of HIV clinics told the researchers, it's not a question of not knowing how to save their lives. It's a question of them not knowing if their lives are worth saving. That's so sad. God loves these people. Incredibly, after this long and brutal and well-documented description of life in his community, Hobbes then concludes that the cause is having, the cause is having minority status, which has taught them to live in fear. At no, at no point does he consider the possibility that it is the lifestyle itself that may be what's destroying these men's lives. 
This one uh, researcher out of the New York University, his name is Christopher Stoltz. He says that he admits that for many people, the marriage decision was a letdown. The gay marriage decision was a letdown because we have this legal status, and yet there's still something unfulfilled. Well, the thing that's unfulfilled is God's love in your life through Jesus Christ. Could it be that this lifestyle cuts off this community from the natural family, from children, and according to years of statistics from monogamous partnerships? Could it be the disparity Hobbes sees between what he wants and what he got as a result of a broken lifestyle? Could it be that this behavior naturally isolates people? Could it be that God didn't design his image bearers to live like this? And when we do, it actually destroys us. Now, that's a very honest article about the gay lifestyle. And I've, when I've run into some homosexuals and try to witness to them, that's what they'll say. We'll say, well, lo- love is God. Love is this. and This is love. This is how I choose to love. And this is how I want to love. But, friend, the Bible says God is love. God is love. Read with me. Read with me there in uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse, verse 9. How do we know where God's love is at? It's found in verse 9. In this, in this was manifested the love of God towards us. How can you find out how much God loves you? Because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Amen. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us. And sent His Son to be the perpetuation for our sins. So God's love is found in one place, my friend. It's found at the cross of Calvary. God's love is shown to you at the cross of Calvary. Now that propitiation of sins there, it says that His Son be the propitiation of our sins. That propitiation is the act of appeasing wrath and consolation, the favor of the offended person. So what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary, he took all that wrath that God has for mankind and is coming on mankind, and he found a way for mankind to get out of God's wrath and to get into God's love and to find God's love. Yes, God is love, and he's love found at the cross of Calvary. Can Can you imagine that God loved you enough to die for you? Look, 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 just turn back to 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. 1 John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. Here we go, look at this. Hereby perceive we the love of God. How do we know how much God loves us? Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Oh, somebody might ask you, how do you know God loves you? I know God loves me. Because he died for me on the cross of Calvary. God showed his love to you at the cross of Calvary, friends. That should humble you. That should humble you that he's willing to give his only son for you. You know, I only have one biological son. And I can't think of a person in this world I would give him to, to die for. I love my son too much. I'm sorry. I don't want to. I don't mean to disappoint you, but I have such a love for my son that if somebody came to me and said, would you give your son's life for him? I'd say, I hate to say it, but no. I don't have that much love. But God does. God does. Now turn to Romans chapter 5. 
Keep, keep your finger here, keep your thumb here, but turn to Romans chapter 5. It tells us a little bit more about this love. Look at Romans chapter 5, start at verse 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 5, we're talking about what is love. We know that God is love. That God is showing His love at the cross of Calvary. And look at Romans chapter 5, look at verse 5. Hmm. And hope maketh not ashamed. Because why? Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. If you're a born-again believer underneath the sound of my voice, the Holy Ghost is living in you, the Holy Spirit is living in you, and therefore you have the love of God in you. And the love of God is in you, and that means that He's filling you with His love, and that love should flow out of you and start manifesting out of you. His love. You say, well, I don't have enough love for my enemies. I don't have enough love to do this. Well, you don't have it, but God does, and He's giving it to you in your heart. Look at verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't die for the godly. He didn't die for those that had the strength. It's those without strength. It's those that are ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But oh God commendeth his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. You say, how did God, God loved you enough to die for you. I just read it to you. And he loved you enough to die for you while you were a sinner. But God commended this love toward us. Where's God's love? Where is God's love? You don't see it in the world. You go out in the world, you don't see God's love moving. I don't see God's love in the way people treat each other, the way people look at each other, the way people talk to each other. I don't see God's love. But I find God's love at the cross of Calvary. That's where His love is toward us. And look, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, he didn't wait for you to get good that you, so you would, he could die for you. He didn't wait till you were a better person or wait till you could go to church or wait till you would read your Bible or wait till you would pray to him. He died while you were ungodly. Look, Jesus Christ died for us when we were without strength, when we were the, the ungodly, sinners, his enemies, the chiefest of sinners. God, Jesus Christ, died for all of us. That's where his love is found at the cross of Calvary. Look at verse 9. Much more than being now justified by his blood, that blood at the cross, we shall be saved from wrath through him, through Jesus Christ. So there's the wrath of God. There's a, God is love, but God is wrath. And he has wrath. And the way you're saved from his wrath is to get into the cross of Calvary. God's love is shown at the cross of Calvary. Any Christian underneath the sound of my voice understands God's love. You know, when I first heard the gospel, it wasn't the first time I heard the gospel message, but when I first, the first time I decided to make a move on the gospel message, and I heard the preacher preaching about Jesus Christ, and my heart was pricked, and I decided I, I better make a decision. And I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Oh, the love, the love that was put into my heart. 
Sometimes, friends, you just need to pray and say, God, just show me how much you love me. Because, you know, we look at ourselves and we look at our faults and we look at our sins and we look at the things we've done in the past that we don't want anybody to know about. And, friends, we're going to do things in the future, too. And we think about all those things and you think, how can anybody love me? How, why would anybody love me? But God does. Amen. And He does through the cross of Calvary. Look back at 1 John, please, chapter 4. 1 John, chapter 4. God showed His love to you at the cross of Calvary. You want God's love? You want to know what lo real love is? You've got to go to the cross of Calvary. Uh, you're not going to find real love in alcohol. You're not going to find real love in drugs. You're not going to find real love in sex. You're not going to find real love in sports or, or working or in a marriage. You're not going to find real love until you go to the cross of Calvary. You won't know what love is until you go to Jesus Christ at the cross of Calvary. You don't understand what love is. And I can talk about it and talk about it, but you can dream what you think love is. You have no idea what love is until you go to Jesus Christ. Look, look at 1 John chapter 4. Look down at verse 15. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. That's Jesus Christ at the cross. Verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God had to us. I believe, I believe God loved me enough to die for me. And I know y'all do too. And we have known, and I know it. How you know? I know it's in my heart. It's in me. I feel him. You know, when I watched that movie... Well, I'm glad y'all didn't come watch that movie, Case of Christ, with me. You'd think I was a big ball bag. I just cried through that whole movie. So I just related to that guy looking for God and denying God. And at the end of that movie, he, he just sits down and he looks at all the evidence and I give up. I give up. I just started crying. He started realizing that God loved him. He realized that the, the truth is the truth, that there is a God, and this is not a God that is out to kill him. This is a God that loves him, yeah. that wants to save him. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in, the world, in this world. Guys, there's a judgment day coming. And I preached on that for weeks. Amen. But there's some of y'all in here, and I think most of y'all in here are very bold about that judgment day coming. Very bold. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Why are we so bold at the day? It's pretty bold to say, hey, I'm going to stand before God and everything's going to be all right. Amen. How can you be so bold, Brother King? Verse 18. Verse 18. There is no fear in love. You know why I'm so bold? It's because I know when I finally get to see my Father up in heaven. I know he loves me. 
You know why my son is so bold to walk up to me and come into my house and get into my refrigerator and so bold just to walk up to me? He's bold because he knows I love him. My son works around me some at the, at the city and he'll come up there and he'll pat me on the rear end. He'll punch me in the arm. He'll flick my, he'll flick my beard. And I know some of them guys, that they don't know he's my son. They're like, man, that, that guy's bold. But he's bold because he knows I love him. Amen. And he knows there's not much he can do that's going to make me get on him. When you know somebody loves you, it makes you bold. And I know when I take my last breath and I walk up to God the Father with Jesus Christ, I'm going to be so bold to walk up to him. Because I know they love me. I found that out at the cross of Calvary. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear hath torment. The reason why some of you are afraid of losing your salvation is because you don't understand the love of God. If you understood the love of God out of the scriptures that He has for you as a father... Towards a child, you would never be afraid of losing your salvation. The people that question their salvation and question if they're going to heaven after they've received Jesus Christ is because they don't understand the love God the Father has for them. I think I didn't understand this love growing up without a dad. I didn't understand the love a father has for a son. It took me having a son to realize the love a father has for a son, for a kid. It takes that to me to realize... If I, being evil, have that much love, how much more the Father has love toward me. I don't have any fear of being cast out because I know God loves me. We should love God. This brings about a love for God. When we know God loves us so much, it should, in your heart, my friends, bring out a love for the Father. Look at verse 19. We love him because he first loved us. I love the Father because he loves me way before I even knew who he was. You know, when I came into the love of the Father at the cross of Calvary and I started feeling all this love being poured on me and this forgiveness that was given to me, And this grace that was given to me, I fell so deep in love with the Father. I couldn't, words couldn't express the love I had for God. Because I knew He had forgiven me. He had, do you understand? He had forgiven me. I don't deserve to be forgiven. I'm ungodly. I'm without strength. I'm a sinner. And he loved me and forgave me of everything. It's hard not to love somebody. We love him because he first loved us. Turn to 1 John chapter 2. Turn to 1 John chapter 2. You know, you put together a a message, you want to preach on God's love, and you're like, well, I'll just talk about God's love. You know, it's no big deal. I'll just get up there and preach on God's love. Everybody needs to hear about God's love. And you get up here and you try not to cry through the whole sermon. What would would make a grown man cry? The love of God. 
It's a love. I've heard a, old Elvis sing a song about making a six foot four guy cry. It's love. It's when you find out about the love of God, it brings a grown man to tears. Nothing makes me any happier to see a big old burly, tough man get up and sing about Jesus and tears roll down his cheeks. If you don't understand the love God has for you, you're a sad individual. He loves you. But things we don't need to do is found in verse 15 of chapter 2 of 1 John. We should love God but not love the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, love the Father is not any. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Amen. Friends, the reason why we don't have more love for God is because we took our love and put it on the world. Amen. And the last time I looked, and the last time I checked, and maybe y'all are a lot better off than me, but the world hadn't done a lot for me. Amen. I think about what the world tries to do to me. What the world's done to my family. What the world's done to my kids. What the world's done to some of y'all. I don't think the world's done much to any of us that's any good. Amen. But we tend to take all our love and put it out on the world. That's not the love of the Father in us. Love of the Father is going to be in you is going to be back towards other brethren and sisters in Christ. The love of the Father in you is going to be directed towards your enemies. God is love. And when that love gets in your heart, it starts going out towards other people, not towards the world. Look at Mark chapter 12. Look at Mark chapter 12, friends. Mark chapter 12. We're looking at the love of God. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. One of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he, Jesus, had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all of the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou, brothers and sisters, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Your love should be directed not at the world, but at God as a father in your life. Your love should be directed at the Father. And it should be all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Everything you have should be directed toward the Father, all your love. Why would we want to do that? Why should we do that? Why did God command us to do that? Because He's already loved us with all His heart, all His soul, and all His strength. God couldn't love you any more than to die for you. God couldn't love you any more than to put up with you. He puts up with you. He has to deal with you. He has to listen to you complain and gripe. And He still loves you. And you know what else he knows? He knows everything you're going to do in the future. See, when we 
accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're so foolish as to think, okay, the Lord's forgiven me of everything I've ever done. And yes, He has. But when you receive the love of God at the cross of Calvary, it's not just for everything you've ever done, it's everything you're going to do. And that's more important than everything you've ever done. Before you meet Jesus Christ, you're ignorant. And then you get the love of God and you receive Jesus Christ and all this love is put on you. All His grace, all His forgiveness, all His mercy is put on you. It's the greatest blessing a man or woman could ever experience in their life is receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. It's a life-changing thing. There's a, there's a weight lifted off your shoulder. And then it isn't very long that you, with all that love, all that mercy, all that grace, you go off and do something you shouldn't do. You know it's going to hurt your father. That's why you want that forgiveness. Because you know he's given me all this love and then I don't love him back the same. But he still loves you. Listen to me, friends. Some of y'all are not ever going to get this. It's never about the love your children have toward you. It's about the love you have toward your children. Amen. Your children might not love you. Your children might not have anything to do with you. Your children, there's no telling where your children might go, what your children might do, but your love will never stop for your children. Amen. If you're any kind of parent, it won't. Amen, it won't. And God the Father, it doesn't matter where you're at, He still loves you as His, as His child. He loves you. You're His child. Verse 31, and the second is like, here's the second commandment. Jesus says, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than thee. You should have a love for your fellow man and for your fellow neighbor, for your fellow co-worker. For your, for your cousin, for your uncle, for your aunt, for your family. You should have a love for everybody else around you. You come third. God comes first. Others come second. You come third. If you put that order, you'll never go wrong in life. You'll have an abundant life. But so many people put their self first in love. They love themselves first. Then they love their family. And then they love God maybe at the very end. It don't work. It don't work that way. That's not what, that's not what Jesus Christ just taught us. Turn, turn, to, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 5. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to try to close this up. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. Talking about the love of God. God is love. God showed His love to you at the cross of Calvary. God's love is perfect. We should love God with all our heart, with everything we have. And God's love in us should be toward others. God's giving you this love and it's in you. Now you should direct it towards others. So look at what Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 5. Look at verse 43. Look at verse 43. You have heard that it hath been said that thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. How do you love your enemies? Well, you bless them, you do good to them, and you pray for them. That's a threefold recipe of how to love your enemies. Is that easy? Sometimes it's impossible. 
But with Jesus Christ, all things are possible. Amen. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Amen. You can do it with God's love in you. You don't have that love, but God in you has that love. Amen. You say, how do you know God has that love? Because He loved you while you were an enemy. And died for you while you were an enemy. Romans chapter 5 verse 10. Amen. He loved you while you were an enemy. While you were yet a sinner, He died for you. That's the kind of love God has. So if you'll let that love be in you and go out towards your, your enemies. You know what the problem with that verse is for me? God never said my enemies were going to be some of my friends. See, when I see that word enemy, I think, oh, that's some Muslim over in Iran and Iraq that hates Christians. <laughs> no. That sometimes could be your best friend turns into your enemy. That's family members turn into your enemies. Amen, amen, amen. amen. That's the problem. That's why we don't want to love them. We know them too well. Amen. amen. We know all their faults. That's why we don't want to love them. But guess what? God knows all your faults. Amen. And still loves you. And He still loves you. Verse 45, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. You want to be a child of God? That's how you be it. Right there. For He maketh His Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. You know, God's love at the cross of Calvary is for everybody. The love that God has at the cross of Calvary is for the staunchest atheist in the world. God's love's right there. If you'll go to the cross of Calvary, an atheist will find God's love if he'll receive Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. That's what that movie Case of Christ was all about. Sin is a tough thing, guys. And we have a lot of sin in our heart. And we do a lot of sin, and God still loves us. He still sends the rain on us when we're just or unjust. He still makes the sun rise on the evil and the good. You, gotta, you want to be like Jesus Christ, you better love Him. You better love your enemies. Verse 46, For if we, excuse me, for if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same. If you can love somebody that loves you, that's easy. Even the work, worthless sinner can do that. A dog can do that. A sorry, no good dog can love somebody that loves on him. But for somebody to love somebody that don't love them, that's God. Amen, Amen that's God. And you've got to have the love of God in your heart for this stuff to happen. That's what's happening in the American society today. The Christians were running things, and we didn't agree with people. But we let it go, and we let it slide. And now that things are going the way that the other, the other side doesn't like, the other side doesn't like it, what's happening? They hate us. They scream at us. They say, let's kill them, let's bomb them, let's blow them up. <laughs> they, they don't have no love in their heart for their enemy, amen? amen. We're their enemy. But we've always loved our enemies. And we've let them get away with stuff. And we've showed them love. And we've been just on them as well as the Christians. We've blessed them as well as the Christians. But now that the tables are turned, and they don't, they're not getting their way, we're seeing what's in their heart. And what's in their heart is not the love of God. Amen. It's a hatred for me and you. 
They can do that. If you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not either publicans the same? Look, if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not either the publicans so? If you're only, going, you're only saying good morning to your friends, how good are you? Say good morning to them. I do that at the city all the time. I have guys I say good morning to and they won't answer me. So I take that as a challenge. <laughs> when I say good morning and they just keep on walking, I'll say, I'll get you. I'll get you. That's what I say in my mind. So next, next time I see them, I get right in front of them. Hey, good morning. How are you doing? I make sure they answer me. <laughs> yeah, that's just the way I am. And if, verse 47, verse 48, excuse me, look at verse 48 in close. But if ye, but ye, therefore being, therefore perfect, be ye, excuse me, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. You know what that's talking about? That's that perfect love. That's that perfect love that God has shown us. You should have a perfect love that nobody's afraid to come and approach you and confront you. You should have a perfect love like that. No fear, no fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. We should have a perfect love. I'm going to read one more set of verses to you because you need them. That's why I'm going to read them to you. And I'm going to find this in John chapter 13. John chapter 13. I'm going to read you one more set of verses. Because you need them. John chapter 13, verse 34. And then we'll close. Talking about the love of God and the love we should have towards others. We should have love towards others. That's a hard thing to do, I know. But it's a, it's a godly thing to do. John chapter, Gospel of John chapter 13, verse 34. Jesus Christ talking to his disciples, a new commandment. I give unto you that ye love one another. Amen. As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Amen. We should have love for one another, brothers and sisters in Christ. Ha ha, you've got to love me. Ha ha. Even if you don't like me, even if I get on your nerves, even if I'm too crude, even if I don't speak English, even if I offend you, if I'm your brother or sister in Christ, you've got to have love for me. Verse 35, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one to another. You want to know how Christians, you know how the lost world will see that we have Jesus Christ in us is the love we have one for another? Amen. That's how they're going to know, guys. Maybe they don't know that you're Christians because you don't have love one for another. You got to have love for one another. Look at chapter 14, verse 15. Chapter 14, verse 15 of Gospel of John. If you love me, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. You got to have a love for one another. You got to have a love for the commandments of Jesus Christ. And look at verse 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. You got to have a love for one another, brothers and sisters in Christ. You got to have a love for the commandments of Jesus Christ. That's what's written in your lap. You got to have a love for the words of Jesus Christ. That's the Bible that's sitting in your lap. You got to have a love for all these things. And what will happen? And my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. God's love is an amazing thing. Because I don't understand it. I don't understand how God could love me so much. I don't understand how God could, could forgive me so much, but He does. 
And I'm so glad that as a sinner, as a wicked sinner, that I'm not the one that's allowed to define love. Because I would be a, I, it would be a perverted love. It would be a wicked love. But God doesn't allow that. God says, you're not going to define love. God says, I will define love. I am love. God Amen. is love. Hello, this is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church. Are you sick and tired of this world? Are you sick and tired of this life that you're living? Did you know that God has a free gift for you? It's the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Have you ever received this gift? You know, a gift can be offered but not received. You can bow your head and ask Jesus right now to save you and give you his free gift of eternal life. Now, you might ask, how do I know he'll give me this free gift? Because I did the same thing because I bowed my head knowing I'm a sinner and asked him to save me, and he did. And I've never been the same. And this life with Jesus is a thousand times better than anything this world can offer me. Now, we would love to hear from you if you want to contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. Until next time. Casting all your care upon him.